Timothy chapter 4. If you take your Bibles and turn there, as we see that we're to continue, we're going through the New Testament, seeing things that God has commanded us to continue in. And so we're in 1 Timothy this morning, looking at continuing in doctrine. Now, truthfully, this passage not only commands us to continue in doctrine, but also to continue to examine our whole manner of living. And I'll explain that in a moment. But Timothy was a young pastor whom Paul mentored. And so we call this one of the pastoral epistles, right? Because we say, well, these, these principles are for pastors. But may I say these principles are not just for pastors, but for all Christians, right? So I've titled the message, Continue in Doctrine. And I would like us to read verses 12 through 16. And since Al's already standing, why don't the rest of us stand and honor the reading of God's word this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. But let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with a laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both say thyself and them that hear thee. So we're going to look in, at this passage, but the three points come from verse 16. First, we're going to notice a Christian is to protect one's testimony. We are to protect our testimony. Secondly, a Christian is to preach the truth. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'll explain what I mean. And then lastly, a Christian is to prevent a train wreck. And how do we do that? By continuing in doctrine. So let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray your wisdom, your guidance in this message this morning. Teach us, Lord, to continue to remain in constantly self-examination, protecting our testimony, and then also in the doctrine and making sure that we are defending the truth of your word and also living it and teaching it to others. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In verse 16, Paul says, Take heed. The idea is give close attention or to keep close watch on. Take heed to thyself and unto doctrine. So let's talk about taking heed to thyself. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to build up self and make sure I have the proper self-esteem and that I'm happy and all the things that the world teaches? Is that what Paul means by this? No. We honestly see the answer back in verse 12 when he says, let no man despise thy youth. Let's stop there for a minute. We need to stop this nonsense of telling young people, you're too young. You're too young to understand. You're too young. Here's the excuse parents use. They're too young to behave. My dad never used that excuse. He said, son, when we're in church, you're going to sit still. It's interesting to me, there are some parents who bring in their young ones who keep apologizing almost every Sunday. I'm sorry they're so misbehaved. I'm like, they're not misbehaved. And, but, you know, it's good parents who, who are paying attention and, and want their children to sit still. But 
honestly, we have not had distractions like we've had in the past. I mean, I had a mama once who her child was literally walking up and down the aisles, pushing his toy around, and I had to stop him, and she got mad at me. And I'm like, ma'am, I cannot allow your child to distract everybody else from hearing the Word of God. Now, I understand, you know, young people are going to fidget a little bit until they fall asleep. I put all the kids to sleep. makes me wonder. But anyhow, we're not too young. Think of how old Joseph, David, Daniel were when they decided to be an example. You see, I used to tell my kids, and I understand we all are looking for an example to follow, but I said, you got to come to a point where you stop looking for an example and start being the example. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. He says, be an example. Don't let them despise your youth. Don't let them say, you can't figure it out. You don't understand. By the way, I notice this very frequently with my son on the board of commissioners, that some of the other commissioners constantly tell him, you don't understand, you're too young. You don't understand. Now, he admits there's certain life experiences he has not had because he is younger. But it doesn't mean that he can't understand the policy that they're trying to set before us. And he can't under, he, you know, he can understand that the difference between good legislation and bad legislation, even in his 20s, right? And we can choose to follow Christ at a young age. You look throughout history, how many preachers were very young when they started ministry? I forget the exact age, but um, Spurgeon was awfully young when he started preaching. So let's look at the areas then in which Paul tells Timothy to be an example. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example or a pattern of the believers in word. Christian, we need to guard our mouth. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What we say should be different than what the world says. The way we talk should be different. And obviously, Christian, you and I should not be using the Lord's name in vain. Yet it amazes me how many times I hear those who claim the name of Christ who don't have a problem using God's name in vain. Years ago, when I was in the Shelby Walmart, we had a store manager, and he's a, he, he was a, um, a real good guy. But, and he, he said, you know, he told people he went to church and he was a Christian and everything else. His name was Johnny Wise. And Johnny and I uh, developed a friendship. And we were sitting in a meeting once, and Johnny used the Lord's name in vain. And I waited till after the meeting, and I pulled him aside. I said, Johnny, may I talk to you for just a moment? He said, sure. I said, it troubled me. I said, I'm not speaking to you as an employee manager right now. I want to speak to you as brother to brother in Christ. I said, it troubled me in that meeting that you used the name of God in vain, and you openly tell people that you are a follower of Christ. I said, and I know you're aware that the scripture tells us we're not to use God's name in vain. He goes, Jim, I didn't realize I did it. And he goes, thank you for coming to me. He actually sent me a thank you card for being brave enough to point it out to him. And he was very cautious from that point. You know, sometimes, folks, I believe him because he, before he was saved, I I would imagine, used it all the time. And he hears people using it all the time. And he just, you ever do something and not think about it? Until somebody points it out and then you realize, 
Why was I doing that? I think that was one of those moments. But the vulgar speech, the profanity, that should not be part of the way we talk. But let's go beyond that. The gossip. We were at a, the Havelock Pregnancy Resource Center's banquet, and this lady comes up to me and she goes, I heard that they don't actually try to talk girls out of abortions. I'm like, well, where did you hear that? Somebody said it. And she was all mad. I'm like, well, did you verify it with the executive director? I said, because that seems like their whole purpose for being here is to try to talk girls out of having abortions. Well, somebody said it. And I'm like, well, that's gossip. That's hearsay. Oh, you know, verify the facts. And by the way, this lady is a Christian lady who came to me and said this. That's why I'm pointing it out. Christian, that's not how we're to handle things. But too often we hear something or we see it on Facebook. Therefore, it must be true. Stop. Get the facts. The other thing that I see in our guarding our mouth is being dissatisfied and complaining about everything or complaining about the things that we have in life. Listen, Christian, you and I, and I, I, we all fall guilty of this one, okay? Because when we focus on the now, it's easy to complain about what we have now, but we need to focus on eternity because this is the worst it gets. It only gets better from here. So be an example in word and then in conversation. Now, again, you all know that conversation in the Old English does not mean just talking, but it's our whole manner of living. So... And be an example in the word, we need to guard our mouth. Being an example in conversation, we need to guard our manners. You know, Christians should be people of good manners. Now, I'm not necessarily talking about dinner etiquette, okay, because when there's more than two forks, I don't know what to do with them. I admit it. I mean, when they got forks going out this way and forks going up this way, now you really got me confused. And are you supposed to grab the glass on the right or the glass on the left? Well, wait till everybody else grabs theirs and then grab which one's left, I guess. I don't know. I mean, okay, there's some of those things. You know, <clears throat> when you're done, there's certain ways to put your utensils on the plate to tell them whether you want more, whether you're done, whether whatever. And I had waiter, and I used to know those until I realized no waiter understands what they mean. They just grab the plate and run with it, even when you're, you know. So I was like, you know what? <clears throat> But there are certain manners which we should have as Christians. Everything from the way we dress ought to be a modest dress not drawing attention to our bodies to the way we converse with others, we should treat others with kindness. Now, we did look just a few weeks ago, there is time to give an unruly, the unruly a warning, but we still don't have to be attacking their person, right? Attack the issue. And I tell people this in counseling all the time. Attack the issue, not the person. I find, again, in government, this happens so often that people take every decision personal, and when you're attacking, they think that you're attacking them when you're trying to attack the issue. People don't know how to separate those things anymore. But being courteous to others goes a long way to showing Christ's likeness. Our life is to be a life of service, not selfishness. The writer of Hebrews tells us, let your conversation be without covetousness. Your whole manner of living be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. Are we content? Peter tells us, 
in 1 Peter 3.16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. It doesn't mean when you're living for Christ that the accusations aren't going to come. What Peter's saying is that, number one, they're not going to stick. That's part of being blameless. doesn't mean there's not, you know, for a pastor. It doesn't mean that the accusations won't come. It means that they won't be able to stick. But what Peter is saying is that your, the way you treat them, even when they treat you badly, is going to bring conviction to them. That's how we're supposed to treat others. Then he tells Timothy, be an example in charity. Now, the word charity there is the word love or the agape love. And I wrote this. I said, guard your motives. You say, what do you mean by that? Ask yourself, do I do what I do because I love Christ? Or is it because I love others? Or is it because I love self? Hollywood teaches that love is just an emotion. It's what makes you feel good. It's what pleases you. But 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us love is not an emotion, but a choice. You read through 1 Corinthians 13 and you see action words. Love does this. Love does not do this. Love is this. Love is not this. And I know most of you have heard me say many times, take and define all those terms and then ask yourself, is that how I love? Because it is a choice to love. The problem is that so many today, and even among Christians, still get a false concept of love because love to them, it means that you take care of me and my needs and it's all about me and not me serving you. Do we love the way we ought Are we setting an example of love that others could follow? Because again, remember this whole uh, thought here that Paul is giving, let no man despise their youth, but be an example. Be a pattern of the believers. So if people were to follow your, your words, your speech, your conversation, your manner of living, your love, would they be a better Christian or a worse Christian for it? Now the next he says, be an example in spirit. And I wrote this. I said, guard your master. I say, what do you mean by that? Who's in charge of your life? You or the Holy Spirit? Paul tells us in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine where is an excess, but be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. You and I, Christian, need to yield to the Spirit of God, allow Him to have control of our lives, and be led by Him. Be an example of what it means to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Live that example to others. Because a spirit-filled Christian is going to be guided by the Spirit of God, is going to have discernment of God, is going to have the peace of God in their hearts, is going to uh, not have the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind, is going to make wise decisions, is going to be one who prays about matters. It, isn't it pretty obvious when you look at other Christians And who is truly one who is filled with the Spirit of God? Many times you can tell in just a short conversation. Then he says, in faith. And I wrote, guard your meditation. Because as I said just a little bit ago, meditation in the Bible is not emptying your mind, but rather filling your mind with the Word of God. Are we living 
by faith? Are we walking, as we talked about just a few Sundays ago, continuing in the faith, the teachings of Christ, the apostles' doctrines? Are we continuing in what, how a Christian ought to live? Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We need to be reminded, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We receive Christ by faith, and we must walk by faith. Then the last way in which we are to be an example that Paul writes is impurity. And I wrote, guard your morals. Be careful what you see or look at on the TV, the computer, or wherever you are. Set up safeguards not to be alone with one of the opposite sex. As Joseph said in Genesis 39.9, there is none greater than his house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, referring to Potiphar's wife, because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? One of the ways in which we can be an example in purity is to realize that if I let my morals slip, I'm sinning against the holy God. That's what Joseph recognized. That's why he said, I can't do this. So guard your mouth, guard your manners, guard your motives, guard your master, guard your meditation, and guard your morals. Protecting one's testimony. But then go back down to verse 16. Take heed to thyself and unto the doctrine. So not just yourself, but to doctrine. And this is a point that, uh, point number two, I say, preach the truth. Now, yes, this was given to a young preacher, but when you and I teach or share the word, we must also present it truthfully. Whether it be teaching a Sunday school class, whether it be talking to your coworker, we had a couple examples of that today in testimonies of presenting the truth of God's word to your co-workers. But are we doing it truthfully? I have heard many Christians give what they believe is a defense of the word of God or an argument, a biblical argument, but what they're saying truly, truly is not biblical. Have you ever heard that from people? What they're saying is something they heard somebody else say, and so they repeat it because it sounds nice, but when you really dig into it, it's truly not a biblical statement, right? We need to guard against that, Christian. We need to be, when we say something, we need to make sure that it is truly a biblical, biblical advice. When somebody comes to you for advice, do we spout off what we heard the world say, or do we have a biblical principle which we can teach them? Now again... Take heed, give close attention to, or keep a close watch on. So how do we do this? Well, I believe, go back to verse 13, and Paul explains this. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So to reading, we need to be a student of the Word. 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. I hope when you read the Bible, it's not just so you can put a check in the box saying, got that done for today, but it's so you can truly learn and meditate and memorize and apply and live the Word of God and know the author of the Bible better. Are we diligent students of the Word? 
Because how can you know proper doctrine if you never study proper doctrine? Right? You got to study it first to know it. And we need to be, as Paul commended the Bereans, not just listening to everything somebody says. We have a lot of experts in this world, don't we? You know, experts have been wrong many times, including those who claim to be preachers have been wrong. Now, we all have the responsibility, as Paul commended the Bereans, for studying the Word of God. He says they were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they not only heard the Word, but they went and searched the Scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was so. Do you, I see many of you take notes. And by the way, I think I commend you for that. That's a great way to remember what is said. But I hope you take those notes home and you study what was said and say, I want to verify what was said is true. If you do, that's wonderful. I think I told you all before, I was asked by a former commissioner once, why do you question everything staff does? I said, it's my job. And then the individual said, well, they wouldn't ask for it if they didn't need it. And I looked him right in the eye and I said, and you're part of the problem. I said, you've never asked for anything you didn't need? You shouldn't make them justify what they need? Last year's planning, and this was an open session, so I can tell you this, and I probably said it before, the, who was then the public services director came and asked for two gators, the John Deere gators. Now, I knew they already had one, and I knew what the use of it was because I had been out there and seen it. So I asked what I thought was a very logical question. What are you going to do with the second one? Because I thought you and Havelock didn't really want to put, you, you know, those things are quite pricey. I thought you didn't want to put the money into it without a justification of why we need a second one, right? You know what the answer was? That's fine. We'll just do with one. Okay, moving on. I thought it was a legitimate question that you would ask me, so I wanted to ask them so I'd have an answer for it, right? Be able to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Be able to justify what you're doing. Be able to ask the, uh, be able to show others the truth of God's Word. And then he says, give attendance to reading, to exhortation. Exhortation has the idea of consolation, comfort, or to come alongside. The root of this is where uh, we you ever hear of a paraclete? Yes. Okay. Some have, some haven't. The idea of one who comes alongside, an advocate, one who, you know, when you, when you have a, you go to court, you don't represent yourself, you have an advocate there. The idea of somebody coming alongside to assist, to help. By the way, exhortation is all throughout the New Testament, Christian. We are to be looking for opportunities to come alongside others and be an encouragement to them. There's too many Christians sitting on the sidelines who sit there and just criticize other Christians as opposed to coming alongside and trying to be a help. You know, whether it be somebody who... who um, I, I don't know what the case may be, but let's just say it's a couple who ends up having real bad marital <clears throat> problems. You know, they're, the ones that sit on the side saw that coming. You know what I want to ask them? Then why didn't you do anything about it? Because the Bible commands you to be an exhorter. So if you saw it coming, don't sit there in your little pride and arrogance saying, I saw that coming. You should be ashamed of yourself if you didn't reach out to him and try to come alongside him and help him. 
But you cannot lead others into proper doctrine if you're not studying yourself. You cannot lead others into proper doctrine if you're not living it yourself. So Paul tells Timothy, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. I love this definition Webster gave. He says, in a general sense, whatever is taught. Hence, a principle or position in any science, whatever is laid down as true by an instructor or master. The doctrines of the gospel are the principles or truths taught by Christ and his apostles. The doctrines of Plato are the principles which he taught. Hence, a doctrine may be true or false. It may be a mere tenet or opinion. Now, I think that's a fantastic definition because you do realize the world has doctrine, right? We heard from the experts for two years, you know, that we're all going to die, that we all have to wear these face masks, we all have to get these vaccinations, we have to do all these things if we're going to save humanity, otherwise we're all going to die. That was their doctrine. Now, did it have to be true for it to be taught? No. As a matter of fact, did we find that sometimes they would say, this is what you need to do, and then the next two weeks later, they're changing their mind on what we're supposed to do? Yeah, but it was still doctrine. And here's the problem. Most of the world said, well, Dr. So-and-so said, Fauci, <coughs> Dr. So-and-so said, therefore, it must be true, which is a fallacy in logic. Just because somebody said it's true doesn't make it true. But our world believes it. Why? Because he is a doctor after all. You know, I have seen many times doctors be wrong. When I was a corpsman, we had a flight surgeon before we were going to uh, do a sew guy's finger back on, wanted to inject lidocaine with epinephrine. Now, lidocaine kills the pain. Epinephrine restricts the blood vessels so that you don't get as much bleeding. So, what do you assume might happen if you inject into one of your extremities, whether it be a finger, toe, ears, nose, a agent that's going to restrict the blood vessels? It will die. You can put it into a large muscle because there's still blood supply around it, and it will push the blood out of that area, slow it down so that you can but it won't die off. If you put it in an extremity, it literally the, it will have no blood left in it, and it will be so long that the extremity will die. Okay? So the corpsman says, sir, I don't think you want to do that. And then he realized the decision he was about to make. There was another time when the ambulance rolled in, the doctor takes his stethoscope, puts it on the patient, and says, normal lung sounds bilaterally. And the corpsman looks at him and says, that's very interesting, sir, because we just brought him in for a collapsed lung on the left side. I could go on with personal experience of doctors being wrong. I've seen lawyers wrong. You want to know what I, my point being? They're still people. Verify. I'm not saying you can't trust an expert, but verify that what they're saying is really true before you believe it hook, line, and sinker because I have seen doctors wrong and would have injured patients or killed patients. I have seen lawyers wrong who have messed up our whole society. 
There's good lawyers out there, but you see what I'm saying. And you know what the truth is? Is these, these individuals walk around with an arrogant God complex because we allow them to, because we treat them like they are. All of a sudden, because they have all this education, well, they're the expert, they must know, so we just rely on them. And then they can say whatever they want without verification because they know most people would never verify what they said, but just believe it. That is not how we are to be, Christian. I'm not saying run around paranoid, but anything a person tells you needs to be verified. If Paul told, if Paul said that the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they were verifying what he, the preacher, said. So if we should be verifying what the preacher says, then shouldn't we be verifying what all the others say? Well, that takes work. Just because somebody taught it doesn't make it true. Hitler had an entire nation convinced that Jews were not real people. So not only are we to take heed to our testimony and to doctrine, and we're going to be out of time here, but we're to continue in them. Let's close with a word of prayer.